Welcome to the Good Mother, Bad Woman podcast, where we know how to be good mothers, but we might be bad women for different reasons. I'm your host, Stacia Caprice, a happy single mom of three girls. My youngest child has special needs. My blended family girl includes three daughters from three different dads, one divorce under my belt, nine living grandparents, two girlfriends, and one bonus mama who's married to one of the dads helping me raise my baby. The Lord blessed me with a part-time nanny, and all 20 of us get along just fine. To those of us who are mothers, I think we love our kids just fine. But even though our kids are a big part of our lives, they're still only part of it, right? And that part of us that existed before and after kids, that woman inside is demanding to be heard without being labeled depressed, postpartum, or a bad woman just because she did not disappear with her mommy job title. Amen. I'm not a doctor, coach, or psychologist. I'm just somebody navigating this life without the owner's manual, just like you. And today we want to get into our feelings and discuss part one of this series, A Case for Love, What to Do with the Pieces. So this series that I'm calling The Case for Love kind of came to my mind as I was reading Robin Wall Kilmer's book, Braiding Sweetgrass. And she's this beautiful writer. She's a mom. She's a scientist, this highly accomplished biology professor. And in the book, she draws on her Native American heritage, uh, discussing humans and kind of our lost connection to the earth, to animals, and pretty much any other life form other than our own, right? (laughs) In the book, she says, you know, in Western tradition, there is a recognized hierarchy of beings with the human being at the top, the pinnacle of evolution, and the plants at the bottom. But in native ways of knowing, human people are often referred to as the younger brothers of creation, right? Uh, She goes on to say that we say that humans have the least experience with how to live and therefore have the most to learn. Love it. So we must look to our teachers among other species for guidance. Um, And I love that, right? Um, But before we talk about love, you know, we can almost immediately relate this to motherhood because what she's saying is that you know that there are systems in place right among the earth and the species among change of seasons you know even with pregnancy that happen without our control or permission and as human beings we are constantly learning these systems kind of in hindsight right or trying to mimic them uh, with our technology at best So the idea of industrialization kind of increasing our self-sufficiency as a human race at the cost of our connection with each other just started to pull together a lot of scattered ideas in my mind, right? Like I've done a previous episode around the statistic that there are over 8 million households um, that are run by single mothers in the United States alone, another 2 million by single fathers, and that number has steadily been growing since the 1960s, right? And as somebody, you know, (laughs) who was born in 1980, you know, I really see my generation as the first recipients of all the civil rights and women's rights and reproductive rights, right? All the choices in our hands. But it's just interesting to me how that type of social cooperation has led us or pushed us still towards this hyper-independent society versus, you know, choosing and building the type of families that we would want to have or hope to have, which might be completely different than what um, generations before had to deal with, right? And I definitely think that individual and self-reliance is more valued than, you know, family or any excessive type of interdependence on each other, right? To the extent that if you do get married and have problems, then the connotation or the response is like, well, why? what did you think marriage was going to be, right? You should not have chose him, right? Or you shouldn't have had kids if you were going to feel that way, right? It's like family in general, just because it's optional, is also a potential mistake versus a necessity, right? And that's just interesting to me. It's just an interesting thing to think about. 
But coming back to the real world that we live in, um, <laughs> when I was getting a, a divorce after my 12-month marriage, I remember all the church mamas telling me how they suffered through their husband's alcoholism or infidelity or other, you know, familial abuses with prayer and devotion to cooking him dinner and ironing his shirts. And girl, I was polite but unpersuaded because I knew based on their age and the time in question that they had no choice but to stay with him, right? Because it was hard, if not illegal, for a woman to survive without a man financially, right, during her younger days. Girl, women couldn't get credit cards or rent hotels. It was literally 1974 when it officially became illegal for banks to discriminate against women for loans, credit, and mortgages, right? Like, you can look this up. Like, the Equal Credit Opportunity Act of 1974, that shit was 50 years ago. (laughs) Not hundreds of years ago. Like, that's crazy to me. So when I was 30 years old, you know, I would say in response to this like unsolicited marital counseling that, you know, mama, back in the day, you know, people had to come together in order to build. But now the expectation is that you would build first and then come together. Right. I mean, if you date anybody, whether you a teenager or in your 40s, what's the first question they ask you? Well, what does he do? (laughs) Right. They may ask the same thing about you because he is expected from age 20, 30, 40, 50 to be this finished product versus a work in progress or or something that you are supposed to help grow. Amen. And this is what we were born into. So getting back into, you know, the case for love part one, what do we do with the pieces? The pieces come from our broken connections with each other. Right. And if we start by looking at it from a single mother perspective or even a blended family, second marriage perspective, 10 million single parent households and counting to me is a statistic for broken families and some form of unreliable love at some point. Right. Because when you look at how hard it is for people to date or get married or stay married or find love again, you'll notice there's always this choice being offered to us culturally around why would you choose love when you could have career vacations or more money and free time, right? And girl, it's funny, you know, I laugh with my girlfriends like, girl, joking about these men and baby daddies who only see their kids on weekends or a few times a month. The only thing they seem to do with their extra time and extra money is make more women single mothers. Okay. (laughs) Girl, children's sibling count just keep growing. Like, hey, girl, welcome to the harem of sister moms. You know what I mean? Shoot. (laughs) Right? So even with success and career, we can be so isolated in these worlds that we were taught to build first by ourselves. Amen? Right? We can be so alone in our lives, in our neighborhood, in our homes, in our minds, right? Which leads to a type of isolated understanding of how we perceive others, right? Culture makes it easier for us to cling to our independence as if it was the most important thing when the evidence of our need for love and connection shows up in how we try to instinctively attach ourselves to the pieces, right? Let's talk about it. Okay, so first let's talk about the difference between independence and isolation, right? Turns out this is quite the scholarly subject that just popped into my mind on the school commute while I was reading in the car and damn parent line. <laughs> but if we start with the definition of isolation, right, it means to be separate or set apart. It means without relation to other people or things, right? A synonym for isolation would be loneliness or withdrawal. However, we sometimes mistakenly label isolation as a type of independence, right? Even if the person mislabeling it is the person in your head, she did not get the idea from nowhere, okay? Independence for us personally means having governance over oneself to be free from outside control to think or act for yourself, right? So really... 
based on that definition, independence is not empowering so much as it is mandatory. Okay, that shit is necessary. (laughs) It's just a part of life. It's nothing to be extracted as the most important thing in this cycle of life. Okay, things like growth and faith and joy and sickness, salvation, all of these things have to be experienced independently, right? graduations, birthdays, going to the bathroom, all of these things are attached to you as an individual. So independent or independence is a state of being, whereas isolation is more of a condition. Does that make sense? You know, isolation could be a physical condition, like uh, being isolated in jail, or it could be um, an emotional condition for the people who might feel alone in families or marriages or even motherhood, right? Personal coach Matthew Laffey said that independence, whether it's on a personal or professional level, requires a constant exchange of outside forces and influences. Without something or someone to challenge our ideas and approaches in life, we can soon lose a sense of reality. And I've talked about this before, but I think we have definitely lost a sense of reality when it comes to our understanding of love outside of the fairy tale version that men and women were taught to believe. Girl. Right? She's supposed to be romantically rescued and he's supposed to spend his life preparing for said rescue. Girl, like we all live in an episode of Bridgerton, which was fantastic. <laughs> but girl, listen, as a writer, like I, I looked up um, or considered writing romance and, you know, romance is all about escapism and happy endings no matter what. And I'm like, this is the shit they teach us to expect from real life marriage. Right? That love is some type of perpetual escape from reality just because you found it. Good Lord. Anyway, so even in my personal journey, I want to start to reframe some of the internal stigma or vulnerability around our desire for love and connection and maybe start to unlearn the notion that all of it is just optional, right? Maybe it's not. But listen, no, I am not pushing for traditional marriages or ignoring the fact that, you know, personality wise, some people are more okay being by themselves you know, than others. That doesn't mean they don't connect to anything, right? Because romantic love is not the only form of connection. But I do find it interesting that in my dealings with like, girl, successful women at all levels, from friendships to women empowerment conferences, that there seems to be this overarching embarrassment or disappointment or urgent dissatisfaction with having gained the whole world, but having no one to share it with. And even if none of those words really fit the description for what it is, there's always a need to discuss it, right? We can't just be happy with the stuff. We have to bring up the fact of, you know, are you married? Do you want to get married? Do you have kids? Which is a whole nother rabbit hole, but it's still present. Which moves me into my second point of how do we, all of us, kind of attach ourselves to the pieces, right? So my therapist was uh, talking to me some months ago, maybe a year ago at this point, about how our physical needs demand to be met regardless, right? She said, how many hours could you go without food before you started getting angry? How many days could you go without food before you started stealing it? And lastly, how long could you go without a healthy way to meet your physical needs before you start eating out of the garbage? She made the same point about our emotional needs, saying that if we can't find a healthy way to meet our emotional needs, they don't just go away, right? They find relief in the emotional garbage cans of life. But this is where the drugs and a functional alcoholism come into play, right? Like, if I can't connect, then I want to numb myself, which is a little bit more accurate, I think, than disconnecting because you can't really disconnect from yourself. But you can temporarily stop feeling a thing. Girl, I struggle with functional alcoholism post-pandemic, taking shots of whiskey, girl, for like eight hours a day while I was the whole global director of digital comms for an ad agency, right? Girl, I was taking care of my kids. We were going on vacation. I had a whole nanny. 
a roster of men and I would still come home from like networking events or parties girl uh, to relieve the nanny I would go to the bathroom wake up two hours later fully dressed on the floor nanny was gone kids in the bed and I'm sitting here asking myself I'm like girl really do we really have to live like this or not <laughs> It's like, what are you looking for? What is this alcohol doing for you besides killing you slowly, right? I'm talking to myself. But, you know, so I definitely had to challenge my own personal connections, what I was connecting to, what I was missing, uh, what emotional needs uh, was I actively avoiding, honey. And, uh, you know, speaking of parties, um, attaching yourself to toxic friendship circles is another big thing, right? So many adults worried about what other adults think about them, right? Trying to keep up with the Joneses girl and be at the right parties just to see the same people over and over again, right? But really trying to find their identity among a group of people who are friendly towards you, but who may not really be your friends, right? Who would not show up for you in a time of trouble, who don't really know your kids, who don't see you as a real person, who may stop being your friend immediately once you retire or divorce or get otherwise separated from a career or lifestyle that benefited them on the surface, right? And I know some of y'all had these stories to tell, okay? And that kind of stuff hurts. Like It definitely takes a toll on people, even if you are an adult, right? Um, sex is another way that we attach ourselves to the pieces. C.S. Lewis said in his book, The Four Loves, uh, he said, to say that a lustful man is on the prowl for a woman, to him is incorrect, right? A woman is exactly what he does not want. He is in search of a temporary sensation for which a woman is just the necessary catalyst, right? And just like uh, cigarettes are needed for the nicotine and then you throw away the pack, so it's true for discarding the woman in this scenario, okay? If you keep listening to me, you are going to be a C.S. Lewis expert because I just love him. (laughs) But in 2024, it says, um, you know, women absolutely, you know, give their bodies in exchange for temporary connection, temporary cuddles. Girl got a whole roster of men to validate us at any point. A girl, like, I give you a whole quick PSA not to sleep with your favorite service providers. Amen. Girl, I had, like, the best masseuse of my life, okay? Like, hands blessed by Jesus himself. But he was also very attractive, and he felt the same way about me. So, whatever. He left the massage parlor that I was going to. He moved his business to his house. And, of course, things escalated into a double service appointment. You feel me? And both services were so good, okay? <laughs> I still had to pay for everything, but, you know, but then, girl, he started saying stuff to me like, you know, we could hang out outside of these types of uh, appointments, like on a weekend and stuff. And, you know, I'm not a man, so I started to feel bad about that. I was like, damn, because he was this beautiful, caring, smart guy who was just not the type of man who I saw a future with, you know, as a father of my three girls or being a partner in the lifestyle that I had built for myself, right? But yes, I did like the idea of knowing that even though I didn't have anyone special, that I always had him in this kind of standing weekly connection appointment, right? Sounds like low self-esteem when you say it that way. Like, at least I got me somebody who wants a piece of me. And speaking of that, at this point, I've heard from men, you know, who follow Good Mother, Bad Woman, say that some of their hypersexuality and willingness to be a side dude was attached to their low self-esteem, right? Like, Let's give the fellows a round of applause for the healing. But, (laughs) you know, as they get older, they are starting to realize what all of us have to realize, which is sex as an isolated piece of what love has to offer is not enough. Right? It's a piece. Part two of this series is going to deep dive into how so many of us try to connect by attaching our identity to something as insatiable as our sexuality or sexual behavior, you know, 
from fuckboys to polyamory to lifestyle parties to side dudes it's a thing okay i'm not judging or giving any advice i'm just saying let's call it what it is and not what it ain't okay so in conclusion right the case for love and what do we do with the pieces is first to recognize that broken connections and pieces exist whether it comes from our culture or family of origin or personal experience because acknowledging them naming them stops you from building your understanding and expectations around them the next set of pieces we have to put together is the love and connection with yourself right how can you start seeing yourself mama as more than a product or commodity right whether that commodity is being a hot piece of ass a successful entrepreneur or executive right a great single woman or a great single mom with a big heart, right? Like, like, what is a big heart, right? What does that even mean? The question is, how does your big heart serve you first, right? Here's an exercise that you can do, okay? Start thinking of all the things that make you a wonderful person. And first, I want you to pay attention to how long or short does it take for your doubting self-voice to kick in, right? Like, no, no, no. Don't include that. You're just, you're overstepping a little bit. (laughs) Girl, mine used to kick in at like 48 seconds. Now I'm up to like two minutes, right? Before I have to deal with her. Then girl, I challenge you to identify ways that you represent love in a way that doesn't serve anybody else but yourself, okay? I don't want you to say it's cooking or cleaning or the potential to be a good wife or mother. How does your big heart serve you? I'm curious to know your thoughts, right? Lastly, mama, I want you to be encouraged that Perhaps you and I may have the stuff that we want, but just like we had to learn our professions or even learned how to be a mother, that it is possible to learn more about love and how to love. That it's possible to maintain our independence while exploring our relationship with intimacy, whether that's personally, spiritually, maternally, or romantically, amen? Listen, girl, I'm not above you in the healing process, but I do process my shit. And until next time, which will hopefully be tomorrow, you can follow Good Mother Bad Woman on TikTok and Instagram. Please hit the like or subscribe button before you go, sis, and I love you so much.